0: And um, we go. We're in. We're rolling. This is no BBC. Uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm. It's not going to be super formal. So we can just jump straight in. I appreciate your time. And um, it's
1: great to be here.
0: I wanna. I wanna hear a story. You know, I wanna hear a story about what you do, why, and then also where you're taking it.
1: Okay. So I'm a co-founder of the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. And we train people in well-being. And what we're really interested in is how do you change systems? So we do a lot of work with individuals, but we also do work on how do you make this system better? And the way that that I often describe it is, um, uh, you know, personal resilience is me teaching you how to swim. Collective resilience, which I'm really interested in and hot on at the moment, collective resilience is the state of the pool. It's, Mm -hmm. is the water okay? Are the tiles okay? Are there lifeguards? Are other people kicking you in the face while you're trying to swim? And how do we pay attention to that? Because what we know over the last three years is that the people who've coped really well have been in environments that have been supportive so the organizations that went into COVID caring about their people having um, tight communities having people who feel that other people in the team have got their back they coped really well the ones that you know when we talk about the great resignation and toxic cultures that's people the first chance they can get going I'm out of here this stuff is killing me so so last year we trained about 30,000 people around the world. We do a lot of, you know, yay, people have embraced the internet. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot to be done. And when we began our work, um, I guess, I should take you back to, so I started working in management assessment and development a million years ago. And then in 2007, I trained with Marty Zelligman at the University of Pennsylvania and in positive psychology and well-being and then I've just stayed in that field since I did a PhD looking at how can we use strengths for well-being how can we use strengths to um, change the way we're interacting as, as a group as a team and um, and then Lucy and I began working together and we started our work in education because that was the place that was absolutely interested in whole system wellbeing, you know, about how we do it together. So that, oh. that that's a bit of background.
0: <laughs> no, I love it. Chuck, Chuck me in the deep end, you know, I'm either going to sink or swim. I'm going to use your pool analogy, you know, okay. um, what, are, what have you, what have you found though?
1: Um, you know, it's been really interesting. <clears throat> what I would, one of the things that that's probably obvious to most people now is that in good times, everyone's interested in well-being. Mm. In challenging times, everyone wants to talk about resilience. But actually, they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Wow. So um we don't talk about wellness, because wellness tends to be associated with um fruit bowls and flu jabs. Yeah. Whereas well-being is more the psychological as well as the physical. So the 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 kind of agreed and simplest definition of well-being is mainly feeling good and functioning well, okay? And I like that as a definition because it's saying there are some days when we're not feeling great, but we're actually still able to function. That's well-being. It's not, you know, ratty row, row all the time. Um, and then resilience is being able to withstand and cope with adversity and challenge and recover over time so that you get back to mainly feeling good and functioning well. And um, two things that are really important to me about the resilience piece are, first of all, in that definition, it's, it's about being able to withstand something and recover, sometimes over time. It's not about being immune and it's not about being bulletproof. We're all affected. And and the second thing is, and this comes from my friend and colleague, Karen Rivich, from um, who, who developed the, the Pen Resilience Program along with Jane Gillam and Marty Zelligman. Um, and Karen says, there are no style points for resilience. Yeah. You don't, it's not, ta-da, a perfect 10 after the dismount from the beam. No, it's however you do it. If it's crawling over the finish line, that's okay. It's whatever works for you, whatever messy way we manage it. And I think, you know, and, and, and along with that, we don't always bounce back. Sometimes we crawl back and we don't bounce back we move forward with the learning and the insight into a new space, don't we?
0: We change, right? It's all the
1: same, yeah.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. One thing that really just stood out to me there is is that that time it takes to to kind of get back, but get back to a new version of yourself, right? Through uh-huh. through that resilience yeah. piece, and that kind of like kind of sets up a alarm bells in my brain of just like it's like a hangover, right? And so it's like, how do we get there? And then what would be the biggest barriers that you've seen personally for people to take a little bit longer to get back? If, saying for devil's advocate's sake, they do get back.
1: Yeah, but I I think the, the piece that that is really important to remember here is that um, we draw down on our resilience on a rainy day. But when the shit hits the fan at 3 a.m. and I get a dreadful phone call, I don't build my resilience then. I built my resilience on the sunny days. I built my resilience in the tiny things, in developing good habits, in having strong connections, in being able to challenge my own thinking. You know? um, All of those things. So, So... The bit that people don't get, I think, is that there's so much of our well-being that is protective and there's so much of our resilience skills that we build every day that you can invest in them in small ways every day. And that's what makes the difference. You know, there's this lovely story um, or question people ask about, you know, if I said to you, there's 10 million quid outside under a tree. Here's a shovel. Do you want? I genuinely promise it's in a trunk under it. Would you go out and dig it up? Most of us would say yes. If I said to you, yep, it's there. Here's a teaspoon. You can remove one teaspoonful a day. Would you dig? You know? We, we're, we're really enamored of the silver bullet and the quick hit. But the truth about well-being is it's built in teaspoonfuls every day. It's built in the good habits, the good choices, you know. And and I think about stuff like building self-compassion. A lot of us, particularly in the sports area, have, you know, we're really good at the old self-flagellation. I come from a Catholic background. So as I'm speaking, I'm mentally, you know, flicking that whip over each shoulder. <laughs> and that doesn't help. We know that in the long run, if you can um, actually be a little bit compassionate to yourself, that's associated, you know, when when things go wrong and you can go, This is really shit. Um, This is part of life. I'm not alone. It happens to everybody. Now, how can I be kind to myself right now? And what do I need to move forward? People who can do that tend to have, it's so interesting. We think of it as, oh my God, am I just letting myself off the hook? But no, there is two decades of research by people like Kristen Neff on this that show that Um, people who can act like this they're more likely to persevere after a setback they're more likely to take responsibility for their actions they're more likely to produce better outcomes and they stay motivated and they also tend to have better health and immune functioning and you go well why and one of the ways that I think about it is if something goes wrong and I spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time sitting in a stew of, oh, my God, you're so crap. You're a loser. I can't believe you do this. And when we ask people, what do you say in your head when things go wrong? It, it, and we do it. We do it on like um uh, Mentimeter or something. And you get a screen full of shit, bugger, you useless piece of, you know, and it's really, really like full-on horrible. And um, when when you're sitting in that stream of abuse to yourself, um, what kind of problem solving is happening? Zero. It's just a sea of cortisol and self-loathing, you know? And so I think if we can be a little bit more self-compassionate, then we're able to move more quickly to, okay, I've, I've screwed up. Not my best work. What do I do now? And so you actually spend more time working on your goals than hating yourself, which is a real waste of time. And I really have come to view um, the harsh self-criticism and the beat up and the holding yourself to perfection as a self-indulgence that we can't afford.
0: Wow. that's mm, uh... that makes sense. Yeah, that's really profound. You know, and I think uh self compassion is is one of those really difficult things to be able to start to practice, right? Like once you've kind of got in the habit of things, you know, we're we're a little bit primal, right? And not the smartest yeah. of species, we get into these habits and we we start to go forward, right? But to start off and like, oh, okay, yeah, I gotta be compassionate with myself. Well, how and why and nah, just let's just do this, you know. It looks
1: just the research is you're wasting your time it's a self-indulgence move on and be compassionate get with the program yeah it's crazy there's a a beautiful question that comes from uh, it actually comes from cognitive behavioral therapy and it's a question that my friend and colleague lucy hone used a lot after her 12 year old daughter was killed in a car accident And it's the question, yeah, so these are tools that have helped in in Lucy's darkest days. They're not just for fair weather sailing, yeah? Mm -hmm. And one of the questions she would ask herself all the time is, is what I'm doing helping or harming me? And you can add on to that lovely tale onto that, like, is what I'm doing helping or harming me in my quest to get fit? in my quest to have better relationships, in my quest to um, look after myself, yeah? But it's such a powerful question because it builds self-awareness. It builds choice and lets you take action. And what I really love about it is it puts you back in the driver's seat of your life. You know, when we when we get really um, exhausted and burnt out, it sometimes feels like we're a million miles away from the centre of our life and we can't even see a steering wheel. And recovery from burnout for me is coming back into... picture of your own life and actually leading it and um and this question is what i'm doing helping or harming is just this is you know when we say what can you do these are the kind of questions to practice till they become a mantra yeah
0: i think that process is so powerful and so healing you know and i think that self-awareness piece it i think that's where it all starts you know just trying to understand this thing that we are not just the body not just the mind yeah. everything in between you know we've, we've got to be able to connect these two together right um okay. and,
1: nothing happens without self-awareness
0: there you go i think okay. it starts that's where it starts like i you know i i say it all the time in the in a gym right i like to relate everything back to the gym mainly because i'm yeah. a little bit less evolved than most people you know i'm blonde and i pick things up and <laughs> Let them fall back to the floor and go. Oh, yeah, let's go. Um, I'm joking, but it's like you gotta get in. You gotta you gotta earn the right. You know, point number one, you gotta earn that right. It's chestnut checkers. We can't come in and oh, now I can run the sub two hour margin. Like that's not gonna happen, mate. Like you know, you've got to come in every single day and slowly work towards that. And then secondly, I make this point pretty much every week. I could have all the knowledge in the world, but I'm missing one vital piece: that internal feedback. I don't know what it's like being inside your body. So you need to understand who you are yeah. a little bit. And then bridging on that, we need to be better communicators, right? To be able to liaison with one another, to be able to help each other. You know, help me yeah. help me, however cliche it may sound.
1: Um, in in the field of um in acceptance and commitment therapy developed by Steve Hayes, um they they talk about the noticer pause. Oh, my God, that's where the money is. You know, if you can build your notice or pause, you have choice in your life. You know, noticing how you feel, noticing inside, noticing outside, being able to take a notice or pause and then choose what you do. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, my partner has just said something that's really wound me up. Do I want to say something? Or do I just let it go and know that it won't help? But if I let it go, everything will be fine in 10 seconds. I have a choice.
0: There's always a choice, right?
1: Yeah. And and like these are the core skills of resilience, you know, self-awareness, self-regulation, which is the noticing and the choosing, and the mental agility piece, which is being able to understand that my thoughts are just thoughts, just because I think it doesn't mean it's right. I love the Buddhist thing of um, you're the sky. Your thoughts are just the clouds. They come and go. You don't have to follow them around. Um, And just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And at the core of resilience then is flexible and accurate thinking. Being able to check your own thinking and go, does that make sense? And, And again, um, Karen Ravitch, who um, I mentioned earlier, I remember her being asked, I used to train with her um, with the Penn team in the UK and Australia. And somebody saying, which is more important, flexible or accurate thinking? And she said, if I had to die on a ditch for one, it would be flexibility because if you can see more than one possibility or more than one interpretation of what's just happened. You've got choice. You're not stuck.
0: Yep, A hundred percent. That's, that's exactly what I feel. You know, I I like to sit down and, and write things down, right. And stick a cover on it and send it out there and call it poetry. Right. But that's just way of me understanding who I am outside of a aggressive, Upfront, you know, kind of masculine, quote unquote, dominated field is like okay. I got to get the other side now. I got to have the yin and the yang, the light and the dark. You know, I have to have this opposite, right, to to create a fully balanced human being. So I like to sit down and write these things, eh? And uh, yeah, one of them was like, don't don't give my words too much meaning. They're just words. Uh, one man's words to help try and understand himself and the world around him that little bit more.
1: Beautiful, and I love this because poetry gives you a notice or pause it lets you go in and go how how am I what is what is bothering me what is what am I thinking and you know there's a guy called Pennybacker who's done a lot of research on journaling and one of the things they found even if it's not poetry sitting and writing stuff down in some cases was more effective than therapy because we don't like the page. We don't present our best self to the page, you know? Um, can I ask you, do you do you read other poetry?
0: Uh I never used to. I'm pretty dyslexic, uh, ironically. Yeah. And um, no, reading was never my forte, a if, I'm, com- if yeah. I'm completely honest. Like I'd read four books by the age of twenty two. Um, yeah. like it it was a real big struggle. It was one of those where I was kind of like, forced through the stages at school rather than actually progressed through but um I will quite happily pick up poetry now um and give it a good crack and try and get through it but I like to listen to it I think uh because my reading is not the you know like not the strongest if I listen to it it's more powerful because then I can dissect the tone of your voice um and I can kind of have like a conversation and then attack it from two different angles of one, the words two, my interpretation of that, but then three, how is somebody portraying their own interpretation of it? And I, I like to have that little, that little discussion with myself.
1: There's, um, I'm, I was listening, Seamus Heaney, Irish poet, one of my favorites. If you Google Seamus Heaney reading his own poetry and that's the thing, the internet's fantastic for this. You know, you can find anyone you want to listen to, and listen to their poetry being, and poetry should be spoken shouldn't it
0: yes it really should yeah. Um, although I don't like doing it I don't like doing mine
1: you you know you could do it in a in the privacy of your own home into a recording
0: <laughs> I could yeah and a couple of the a couple of the, uh, episodes on the podcast like way way back when just sporadically I might yeah. have written a uh, written a poem and then wanted to add a bit more of a spin of the way I say it you know because my accent is going to be pretty thick and strong so it's like okay this is only really going to hit the note if I kind of verbally say it you know but Mm -hmm. I like to have a disassociation I like to put words on a on a page and they don't mean anything or could not mean anything but they mean a lot of things and it's you're going to get the interpretation from it and then I ask you what you get from it and most people never find out mine
1: nice yeah it's
0: just, it's just that's
1: the thing communication is so rich and some there's so much in it
0: mm-hmm. it's, it's everything beautiful. right it's everything and that's you know i'm so grateful for for meeting people from all walks of life um and also for my job of being in the fitness industry you know it's just proved to me time and time again at five o'clock in the morning well, that communication is pretty important. You know, I might be a bit pretty potty mouthed northerner and say things a bit brash and harsh, but um, I can't do that to everybody who walks through the door. You know, I've got to carefully yeah, but I, choose. I'll say,
1: you, you can do it, and people will get up at five in the morning to come and work with you, not because you're a potty mouthed northerner, <laughs> which I don't believe you are, but it's because you have a you have a relationship with them. They know you care. I mean, this is. The standout finding in a lot of the well-being work is is the importance, the enduring importance of connection and relationships. And I, I always say to people, from the day we're born until the day we die, we need a hand to hold. Yeah Oof. We need connection. And um one one really important researcher in the kind of field of positive psychology and well-being was asked, to sum up, you know, what were the important findings? And he summed up the field in three words, other people matter. Wow. You know, um, George Valiant, who's done the Harvard Grant study, which is the longest longitudinal study running, started after World War II, so 1945, still working with these men. And his summary is, no matter what happens you, in life no matter how bad a start you get neglect abuse if by the age of 40 you have learned how to give and receive love you will age well that's how important it is being able to be in relationship you know wow And, and when we talk about resilience you know we're going and seeing people we're being asked all the time to go and talk to people who've burnt out and all the rest and i'm saying Yep, and think about it, folks. Over the last three years, when you've hit the wall, it's not what's picked you up, it's who's picked you up. You know, it's it's a friend, it's a team member, it's a family member. Yeah, people are what matters. And the organizations we see thriving are the ones where people know they matter and they're made to feel like they matter.
0: Wow. I'm still blown away by that whole uh, Hansa Hall quote.
1: Oh, but but we do, you know. We're born, like you said, we're we're not the smartest mammal. We're born unfinished. The architecture of our brain finishes growing over the first thousand days of life, and during that time, the thing that enables that growth to complete is connection it's seeing each other face to face, it's smiles, all of that learning that happens from attachment. You know, we matter to each other.
0: Yeah, it's the whole thing of people don't make the world go around, right? But the synergy between them do.
1: Yeah, this is collective resilience. You know, wow. if I have a shop I can go into and someone goes, yeah, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. That might, I might have, there are some days when um I do a lot of work on my own I do a lot of writing there are some days where the the thing that feels most worthwhile or like a gem in my day is a really beautiful chat with my with a taxi driver I honestly I think if I want to write a book called everything I know in life I learned from taxi drivers (laughs) you know like I'm up in Auckland and the taxi driver is telling me, my mum is sick in Ireland and I can't get to her, and this man is saying he's brought his family out, they live together, they live, his him and his brother, their two families live together, they've got a farm back in India and they alternate who goes and looks after it, and when the guy is back in India, the other fa- the family is living with the other family and looked after, they get community. Mm. You know?
0: Wow. And
1: I'm like, yeah thank you taxi driver for reminding me of what's important you know
0: it really is people people are important you know it's not things it's not places and that's something that that really stood out to me being in new zealand right like that is that is a paradise on earth that is unbelievable it is heaven but i was 12000 miles away from family and i was on my own you know and it's 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 going to tarnish everything you know, a lonely
1: I'm, paradise is not paradise.
0: No, like mm. you know, it's solitude, right? And yeah. I I get home and I see the smile on my little sister's face for for surprising that I came to a footy match oh. and give me dad a hug and start crying and you know, and it's just like, you know what? This this is real special. You know, we don't have to do anything. We're just kind of having a brew at ten o'clock yeah, in the morning yeah,
1: yeah. and that's it. <laughs> When my kids were little, um, at one point I thought I wanted to move I, I wanted to move back to Ireland because my thing was, I just want my kids to grow up around people who love them just because of who they are. They don't have to behave well or perform. They're just loved. You're like, come here, I love yeah. you. Um and yeah, and it, and it matters. And so like I've I've just moved to Wanaka from Dunedin and sometimes I think of it's like elastic and right now the elastic between me and my son has feels like it's just stretched and it's too you know I can go for a while I can go for a while ping I'm going to Dunedin this weekend to catch up with them because the elastic's been stretched too long
0: yeah yeah it's it it's so special it's so special Mm -hmm. time with people is all we got right
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, I can't be in Ireland and during lockdown, my mum was sick. And I remember saying, I felt really bad that I couldn't be with her. And my brother said to me, Dens, you're as far, you're as close to her as we are. We're not allowed into the hospital. Mm. So we can all only phone her. And I thought, well, do, you know, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. The Arthur Ashe quote. And I'm like, right. Um, uh, I phone her every day we chat wow. you know why not?
0: Why not indeed Denise yeah. I got three questions.
1: Okay Fire what's, ahead.
0: What's the greatest piece of life advice you've ever received?
1: Oh one that comes can, can I the, the one that comes to mind I don't even know if anyone gave it to me but someone must have and it is great change is possible at any time.
0: Wow. That's a new one. Mm-hmm. I love, I I loved keeping these questions the same because the the comparison in my own head of people from different all walks of life is just it's incredible. Like the the answers you get, and that's 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 a new one.
1: Like in my darkest days, that's kept me going. Another one. Can I give you one? A little Of course. Thing? Go for um, it. My beautiful colleague, Roz Allen came over to me when I was working at the university in the College of Education. It was Friday. It was five o'clock. I was hammering away on the computer. Roz was going home. She leaned over my desk and she said, Denise, no one ever died of an academic emergency. Go home.
0: (laughs) Wow. You
1: know, just keep it in perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Keep it in perspective. That is Wow. That's the pub time, right? 5 p.m. Yeah, on a Friday.
1: Yeah. Don't think what you're doing is so important. The rest of your life matters too. Mm. Yeah.
0: You are mm. not what you do, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Question two. What's the worst piece of life advice you've ever received?
1: Oh God. <laughs> um, the one that jumps out is you've made your bed now, you have to lie in it. Mm change <laughs> why why do I have to lie on it can I not make a new bed? yeah and that and that's probably competing with um things like you've got to know where you're going to be in five years time oh. and climb the ladder you know like no my life isn't a ladder and it's not a wheel it's much more unpredictable and interesting than that
0: yeah, these five-year plans actually do my head in. You know the amount of questions, or amount of times I've been asked that since being back, and they've only been back about four weeks, maybe three weeks. And it's like, oh, where are you gonna? Where do you want to be in five years? Like, I don't know, man. I don't know where I want to be next week. You know, like. Some of us are
1: linear, some of us are not, some of us operate in complex, emergent ways, we, we know what the next step needs to be. And then it all unfolds. I think of it as some of us live like a string of pearls, you just need to know where the next pearl is. Mm-hmm. And then when you get there, and you're in there, you know what the next step is, and you respond to what's possible.
0: Yeah, and you go down a different avenue, right? And you change and you adapt and you overcome. And I got to have something to chase, but I don't need to know what it is. You know, and yeah. if I think I know what it is and all the steps, it'll, I'll get bored and I'll go into something else. And I won't even have embarked on that journey, right? It's just like, no, no, I just, I need to have a fist fight with life. Why? Because it's just going to change. And I think that's exciting. That's... Maybe, we're, maybe we're just crazy.
1: <laughs> well, it's finding whatever works for you. There isn't a said path, huh?
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. What's what's three words you would tell your younger self?
1: It gets better. Oof. Mm. And if I had another one, it would be hold on.
0: Wow. Beautiful. Denise. A lot
1: of young people really struggle, you know if you don't grow up as cookie cutter sausage factory for fine young men and you don't fit a mold and want to jump into it and stay in it it can be really hard to find your way in the world and work out who you are and what your place is Mm -hmm. and our work is all about how can we you know we talk about our our mission is improving population well-being but that happens one person at a time. And, and for me, that's about how can we make families, schools, workplaces, communities, places that are easier for more people to belong, find their place and find their way, you know?
0: That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. And I love it. You know, I think, uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why I do this, you know, this nomadic, nomad, outcast, you know, renegade people that are just like, I have no idea what I'm doing or who I am. And because today it's a little different than yesterday. And I kind of adopt the uh, ancient samurai skill of thinking of um, every day with new people, Right. You yeah. know, again, something I wrote down is every night I kill myself because every day I wake up a new man. I then have 24 hours to figure out who he is. And so
1: I have my wedding ring. It's in it's the wedding ring from my 25th wedding anniversary because at one stage we were having such a horrible time. I said, Nigel, I think we've killed this relationship. Let's start a new one. So wow. we start a new one. And we've done that a couple of times. Let's start again. And so the this wedding ring is for the second half.
0: Wow. But that's so there might beautiful. Even be a
1: third act.
0: That's so beautiful, though, because most most things are designed to break. We get into it, and as soon as it gets hard, we put it in that two hard basket and we give it a little boot to the side of the room and we fuck off out the room. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just like, no, no, guys, like you got to go outside and start digging holes every day. It's that, it's that teaspoon, right? It's frigging monotonous and it's hard. And, but that's it. That's life. You know, you got to go out and just do a bit of work. And then you come back in, wash your hands, watch a bit of telly. And guess what? The sun rises tomorrow and you go out and you do it again. Like that's, that's all it is. It's not complicated. 11. It's just hard. 11.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, you got me all fired up. But Denise, thank you so (laughs) much for your time
1: pleasure pleasure to talk to you
0: and if i if i get back to middle earth i'll come visit
1: yes come and see me
0: i will do indeed we'll grab a coffee we'll talk some more shit and um put the world to rights
1: absolutely
0: thank you so much and we'll speak soon thank you bye everybody